and welcome to Toddler Purgatory. I am one of your co-hosts, Blair. Hi, everybody, and I'm that other co-host, <laughs> Molly. Or as I like to call myself, the Malster. Nobody else does. <laughs> I don't know why it hasn't caught on. It's weird. I guess some of my friends do, now that I think about it, now and again, now and again. Today, we are talking about toddlers. And really, by toddlers, we're talking today about Geez, as soon as they start getting words, sounds in their mouths, 18 months, mm-hmm. younger for some kids, all the way up to apparently whatever my son's age is, because we're talking about how they can be egomaniacs. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a big ego, such a big <laughs> ego. Is that a thing? Is that like Blink-182 or something? No, that's Beyonce. What? <laughs> wow, I really dropped a pop music ball on that one. Wow, I can't say I'm a little disappointed, Molly. Is this episode over? Is our friendship over? over? I don't think my son is an egomaniac per se. He doesn't walk around being like, I'm the greatest. When he does walk around saying that, he's literally just being a Power Ranger or something. (laughs) But it's more about how he fails to see my side of things or like my perspective in the world. He only sees things from his perspective. Mm -hmm. That's how it comes across to me. And so I think it's for our relationship it's more about and i know it's fruitless but sometimes i do find myself saying but you don't understand i have to get ready for the day too <laughs> so i'm gonna go in because otherwise mama's gonna be late for work do you see what i mean mm-hmm. and he has not heard a thing he does not care mm-hmm. so it's that's what it is to me blair you have a five-year-old as i do and a two and a half almost three-year-old mm-hmm. so how does that manifest in your home It's less with my five-year-old because he has to make room for his sister. Yeah. Whereas my two-year-old don't care. And I've mentioned that before. She don't care. It is her world and her world only. She's actually, actually, you know, she's gotten a little bit better lately. She's been a little bit more, yeah, she's been like a little bit more attuned to like other people's feelings Mm. (laughs) and how she affects them, you know, people. But still, there's just that like, it's my world. You only exist in it to serve me. Right. Go get me a juice box. Well, that's it. You have an interesting point, too, which is like I do sometimes see in my son pretty good balance at times between empathy Mm. and ego. Mm. Like there are times when he really doesn't seem to be able to see life from anybody's perspective but his own. Mm -hmm. And there are times when he is incredibly empathetic. You know, and sometimes I think it's some of it is just watched, like learned behavior. His empathy is sometimes from what he sees around him rather than coming from a place of pure empathy. Mm. Like at one point I was crying about something. I think I was having a bad day. I don't think it was anything specific. And he came over and gave me a hug. And then a couple of minutes later, I was like still crying or had started crying again. And he goes, but mom, I hugged you. (laughs) This should be over. (laughs) Yeah, what is this episode? Why does it continue? (laughs) And I was like, oh, I see, I see. We have kind of taught you that when you see somebody whose feelings are hurt or who's upset, a hug can often make them feel better. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need to let people's sadness run through them like a river, I think was my response to him. Mm. I said, right now I need to let it run through me like a river. Look, bottom line, I was probably PMSing. That's when I'm most emotional. (laughs) Not to fulfill a cliche. But yeah, but I do see that balance in him. So perhaps we're not seeing this egocentrism all the time. Maybe in your kid, you see it more or you see it less. Mm. But just the idea that it may in some way be universal (laughs) makes me feel better. Right? Yeah, because they come into the world, right? Like, it's all about them, as it should be. Right. And I think that when you have multiple little people in your domain that get split up, 
because there is there are other people that you have to like make room for and care for. Well, yeah, like you said with your oldest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, doing a little reading on this, I went to Scholastic.com and they have a feature called Ages and Stages. And in Ages and Stages, they define egocentrism as where the child views the world exclusively from his or her own perspective, and it helps them cope with their anxieties. Mm. It also encourages toddlers' explorations as they reach the milestones of toddlerhood, including walking and language. The interesting thing in my limited research was they define egocentrism as peaking at 18 months. Oh, Okay. Yes. So that's a much younger sort of idea of egocentrism. Whereas I also went on to this blog called Being the Parent, and they have an article called Understanding Egocentrism in Children. And they're saying that it's during the second stage of development or between the ages of two and seven that children are likely to show signs of egocentric behavior. They have a perspective of looking at things, and by their own observation, they derive different contexts from different situations. They don't understand that someone else's opinions can be different from their own perceptions. Okay, so wait a second, wait a second, wait yeah. a second. So can you even call that zero to 18-month phase, like, egocentrism? Centrism? Yeah, can you call it that? No, right? I wouldn't think so. I mean, no, it's like, they don't know any better. They can't do anything. We're there for them. They should be like, yo, mom, yeah. give me, dad, come here. Hold me. Yeah, right? And it is that thing of like parallel play with little infants, right? That starts pretty early. As soon as they're able to sit up and play on their own, little infants don't play with each other. They play side by side. Mm -mm. And I do wonder if that's kind of what they're referring to it as far as ages and stages. After our first break, we're going to get more into what Scholastic defines as the ages and stages or the egocentrism within them. It is a hard word to say. It is very, it's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. I wish it was shorter. But it is what it is. You know what we could call it? Ego. But then that's kind of with the capital E, right? <laughs> like the ego and the id or whatever they say? Yeah. Anywho, and then one other thing we're going to get into, Blair. This was a bit of a mind blow for me because I was looking at different articles and, you know, just, you know, where it's shared online and what people are saying about egocentrism. And it was so fascinating. I came across one source mm. thus far on a website called theconversation.com. And this is sort of like accessible articles about what can feel like inaccessible sort of psychological reviews and such. So this is called Young Children Are Terrible at Hiding. Psychologists have a new theory why. Like hiding their feelings or like hiding in spaces in your home? Kind of like when your kid covers their eyes so they think you can't see them. Oh. Like that. They're just dummies. <laughs> yeah. And it was written by a professor and a PhD candidate in developmental psychology. And their, you know, little idea, just a little sweet psychological idea. I've never had one before in my life. <laughs> is they're saying research in cognitive developmental psychology is starting to cast doubt on this notion of childhood egocentrism. Mm, mm -hmm. They did a study where they brought kids between the ages of two and four into their lab at USC so they could investigate this assumption. And their surprising results contradict the idea that children's poor hiding skills, that kind of thing where you put a blanket over your head and you think, nobody can see me now, even though your entire form is visible, you know, beneath the blanket. Children's poor hiding skills reflect their alleged egocentric nature. So in part two, we'll talk about both of these theories, whether or not it is the egocentrism, that persistent self-focus that is causing something like that, or if it's something else entirely. Okay. This is like really digging deep into the cavities of my brain that I don't use often. <laughs> That's why they call them cavities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It needs some work done. You got some sugar bugs in those cavities. Ooh, goodness. 
I know it's, it's really wild to think about because we get so we, you know, we're moms and we get caught up, of course, because we're humans, moms and dads and humans. We got caught up in the day to day and all we hear is me or mine or I can't right now. I can't come to dinner right now. I'm doing something, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. No regard for other people's time, no regard for other people's lives. And that just bears down, bears down, bears down on us. But the biggest thing is the understanding why, or at least having an idea of why, helps me in my day-to-day. Like, you know, you and I sometimes talk about how, in some ways, we wish we were medical professionals so that we could deal with all this stuff, (laughs) or at least know the reason why. And I think that's part of this for me as well, this egocentrism, because you think to yourself, oh, it's ages and stages. It's developmental stages and, you know, where they are and that kind of thing. And if we know that it's not coming from them just being a not nice person, J-E-R-K, being a jerk, mm-hmm. then it'll make us, you know, obviously more empathetic to their situation, but also maybe know how to work with it a little more. Well, I was thinking what's kind of rooting my cavity canals is that when we first talked about the subject, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like an egotistical kid is a kid who's just like spoiled. Right. You know, those kids that I see at like on the playground that are like hitting mom. And hitting other kids because they're not getting their way and they don't know how to communicate because they don't seem to be taught how to communicate well. But now I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's something different. Yeah. Well, I feel like that with this podcast, Blair, that's one thing that has really opened my eyes is like, well, we talk about this, right? Like the judging on the playground or not. We don't mean mm-hmm. to judge. But yes, we mm-hmm. do have ideas in our head of like, and my son even knows the word spoiled. He kind of gets what it means. He kind of gets it. But he's sort of like, oh, can I have seconds or would that make me spoiled? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, at least he's trying to put it to use. You know what I mean? Like, that's good. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, no, that wouldn't make you spoiled. If you're still hungry, of course you can have seconds. He's like, well, mom, you're on the fourth. (laughs) (laughs) And I am. (laughs) But the biggest thing for, yeah, I kind of say like, no, but if you, I gave you ice cream and you thought it was too small and you threw it across the room, that would be spoiled. (laughs) So, yeah, but it is funny. We see our own kids behaving a certain way and we're so worried that people are going to think they're spoiled or egotistical mm-hmm. or indulged. <gasps> Isn't that a bad word these days? Indulged. Indulged. Right? Yeah. I think that's a new word for spoiled. I, you might be right because we've gotten maybe numb to or, yeah, spoiled is sort of like, oh, you got to spoil your Let your grandparents spoil your kids. Yeah. And also sometimes I do want to indulge him. I love him. Yeah, of course. It's all balanced. But then there's like, you know, that other side of it, you know, and, you know, I tend to be a little bit more of a battle axe, but I have very little tolerance for that indulgent behavior. Right. You mean from the parent or from the child? I mean, from everyone, but especially mostly my own children. Like, for example, my daughter's taking this dance class. And they have like a camp, like a Zoom thing that you can like look in on the classroom. And I sit outside and I watch. And there have been a couple of times where I have gone into the classroom because I've watched her, you know, pulling other kids or, you know, they give them wands and she's like, she's being a stinker. Yeah, she's being a little bit of a stinker. And I will go in there and I'll say, hey, keep your hands to yourself, gentle hands, you know, whatnot, because I have such a low tolerance for that kind of stuff. But then I see other kids doing it and their parents don't care. (laughs) Now, do you find 
Do you think it's because they're like, they'll work it out or the teacher will let them know? Or do you think they're being indulged? You know, this part of it's like, they don't care. They'll let the teacher handle it. This is my like 45 minutes to myself. Mm, There is something to that. You handle this. And then I think that there's, I think it's a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. I think that there is like a little bit of like, oh, well, my kid is here learning and just is figuring things out. But they haven't learned yet. You know, ages and stages like the Scholastic site, like, sure, we have these imaginary benchmarks or like developmental places where you think our kid is supposed to be hitting or ourselves. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm 30. Why am I not blank yet? I'm 35. I'm 40. I'm 45. I'm 30. Why am I not married? I was not married at 30. Neither was I, girl. I was living my best life in New York City. And listen, I definitely wasn't like, why am I not married? <laughs> I was like, thank God I'm not married. <laughs> but it is funny. Yeah, we have these ideas in our heads for ourselves, for our kids, for other people's kids. And every kid is so different. And like, sometimes my kid can be a J-E-R-K, but I know he's not always that way. Mm-mm. He's a great kid. Is he a little egocentric at times? Absolutely. Or at least it seems like it to me. And listen, and here's the thing, too, is that toddler egocentrism, there's also like an enviable quality about it because I spend so much of my time being so intolerant of egocentric behavior, right, that I've limited myself where I'm so I think about others so much sometimes that I don't that I'm not thinking about myself. And I like that I see that my daughter emphasis on woman, female daughter Mm -hmm. is like sticking up for herself. She's saying what she wants. She's not taking no crap. She don't want that. Uh Uh-uh, back off. You know? Yep. I'm like, yeah, girl, actually, let me find my place. (laughs) You know? Let me try to like pick my ego up a bit. Yeah. Maybe it's time to take care of myself here and there or at different moments. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is true. I mean, that's part of, they say, why egocentrism has to be a part of the developmental stages of these kids mm. because like for instance, Scholastic says it helps the toddler cope with emerging awareness of how the world works, including separations from loved ones and potential dangers. Mm. And I think you hit on that Blair. Oh, it's a protection thing. Duh. It's part of our, what does Margaret say on what fresh hell our biological imperative? We can protect ourselves if we know we can stand on our own two feet. Right. And so maybe that's part of why Their developmental brain is saying, I cannot be distracted by (laughs) others' needs. I need to take care of my own right now. So I know what that feels like so I can keep myself alive. Right. It's instinctual. That's... Yes. Whoa. Aha. And then we as parents or their caregivers, providers, teachers, nurturers, whatever, then that's where we come in and we have to see that, see what it is, be keenly aware of it, which is sometimes really hard, right? Oh, yeah. And then it's like, are you nurturing the beast or are you feeding the beast? Mm. Are we the beast or are our kids the beast? Ah. Kapow, that was our brains exploding. (laughs) You know what? We're going to go repair our brains and we'll be right back after this. Stick around. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. 
If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to part two, where Blair is trying to let me know more about the song about ego by Beyonce, because she swears I've heard it before. So going back to those ages and stages. So very interesting that Scholastic says egocentrism peaks around 18 months. Me and Blair are like, really? Okay. Feed me. Oh, well. All right, take it easy, kid. I got stuff to do. <laughs> well, you have an interesting point, too. I don't think it, it says it peaks, but by how they broke it down here, which we'll talk about, it doesn't feel like it's a sharp peak and then it goes down swiftly after. It's almost like it peaks there and then it kind of plateaus for a little while and then it goes down as they start to be, have more awareness of other human beings in their lives. But can you call it egotism? Can you call like a zero to 18 month an egomaniac? You know what? Yes. Oh, this baby. It always needs food. Oh, it won't stop crying. <laughs> Do I have to change its diaper? My goodness. <laughs> Annoying. I have Netflix. Love is blind to binge right now. Jeez. You were watching Love is Blind earlier today. Let me tell you something. It is not a guilty pleasure. It is a pleasure. And I love it with all of my being. That's kind of how I feel about Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, same. On Netflix? Yes, the new one. I mean, I felt that about Robert Stack. But the one on Netflix, it takes it up to a whole new level. Agreed. It's so well done. Get into it, y'all. Get into it. They're saying essentially that I think kind of what you're saying is right. Like they have to take care of themselves. Yeah. At two years old, shortly thereafter, or at two years old or so, Scholastic says they gradually adjust their viewpoints to include the feelings of others. Thank you so much. Yeah, because they finally can see, too, right? They're not seeing blurry black and white spots anymore. Uh, yeah, I think part of it is physical. I guess that's a good point. They have to take care of themselves, and all of a sudden they're like, when'd you get here? <laughs> Who are you? You're somebody I love. And then they're saying, ages three to four, now we're starting to see a little shift to being interested in what other people are doing. Mm. Kind of what we were talking about earlier, that parallel play starts to dissolve, right? Mm. They tend to focus on their own desires and perspectives, but four-year-olds can begin to see different points of view and even start to show sympathy for others, whereas three-year-olds still have a little bit of a difficult time understanding how others might feel in different situations. True. As I mentioned, I say that sporadically with my five-year-old son. Mm. Truly, yeah, I agree. Starts to show sympathy for others, definitely see different points of view, for sure. Also, frankly, becomes like a better listener. <laughs> yeah. Because he really wants to learn. He wants to hear about what you think. He wants to know what you know. Mm -hmm. Right? It's also, here's something. I take on so much of what my kids do, like, as a personal attack, whenever they do something bad, you know? Right. But those kids are just learning and copycatting off of each other at school. My goodness. There's so many things that my kid brings into this house that I'm like, oh, where'd you get that one from? Yeah. Son. Lots of just a copycatting. Yes. And that all has to do with caring what other people think about them. Right. Like, for sure, my son still says he has two really good friends who live on our street who are two to three years older. And... 
I remember they made up this song or like we're just being funny and saying some kind of song and he picked up on it probably a year and a half ago. We only moved here less than two years ago and there are, you know, neighbors who we know quite well now. But at first, that first summer, he was getting to know them. He was three. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He three and a half, almost four. He met them probably when he was about four or so. And they sung a song which he to this day still sings. <laughs> and it literally goes something like, I got the goodgy goodgy. <laughs> over and over. I like this. Yep, that's the jam right there. The goodgy goodgy. And then Yay. they do it again and then they do it again. And then you know what they do? They keep doing it. But it's pretty funny. We don't see them as much anymore. They're in second and third grade. So they're busy, frankly. Busy. But he still remembers that song. So I do think that this is correct. From ages three to four or so, they start seeing different points of view. They start showing sympathy for others and they start truly caring what other people think. And it's really when they kind of go to school or start mm-hmm. interacting with other kids. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's when it happened for my son. It was like, all of a sudden he started caring about what other people thought as soon as he started going yeah. to school. And especially like his teacher, we would get like, oh, my teacher is going to be so mad or my teacher's not going to be happy or my teacher's going to be so happy. I was like, what are we trying to please your teacher? What's happening here? What about me? <laughs> well, maybe he learned that because he cares so much about what you think of him. All right, Molly. Okay. I'm not kidding. Wait, does that sound bad? No. Oh, okay. It tugged my little heartstrings. Oh my, my cold, dead, tiny heartstrings. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's the adults that he had already known in his life were so important to him and he wants to impress them and he wants them to love him. Yeah. That then he's adding more adults in and because they're teachers, they're probably great. And he wants to impress and have them love him too. Well, now I just got emotional also. Yeah. It's all about wanting love. That's all we want. And yet it's balanced by this focus on self, right? Yeah. This egocentrism, which we're already seeing in these ages and stages that now here we are ages five to six, which is the last one that they investigated in this particular article. Now, this is exactly what we're saying. Children are more involved in making friends during kindergarten than during any other school year. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that makes sense. It's like they're your first go at it. Yep. And then it goes on to say five and six-year-olds begin to internalize moral rules of behavior. That's true. Exhibit greater self-control and develop a conscience. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. I can see that. Yeah. My son is like very much... Very aware of his conscience. Yeah. And in fact, this morning, and other people's, he's been doing this thing where he's taking on the role of Santa and he's putting people on the naughty list. Oh, that is very funny. And he's constantly threatening his sister with being put on the naughty list. How does he justify that to her? Like, does he say he works for Santa or does he? No, he's just like, I'm going to tell Santa. And I actually said to him, I said, listen, Santa's got monitors. He's got cameras. He's got people out in the streets. He doesn't need you, man. And he was like, okay. (laughs) He didn't know that the operation went that deep. You're like, yo, he is Santa. He's Santa. He's the original one name celebrity. The OG. And he knows everything. Stop trying to do his job, man. Stop trying to do his job. Well, my shortcoming as a mom sometimes is... Like reading that list, five and six-year-olds begin to internalize moral rules of behavior, exhibit greater self-control. It doesn't say they are masters of self-control. No. They exhibit greater self-control and develop a conscience. I think one of my shortcomings as a mom is that I do have to remember that it's all still developing. Yes. I sometimes hold my son, my five and a half-year-old son, to a moral standard or a conscientious standard 
or a empathetic standard that is not fair. Of course, because why? It's a reflection on you. Yeah, even when we're alone. Oh, I see what you mean. Not necessarily in front of other people, but like, yes. And also, I think I'm so deeply invested in him being a good person. Right. Of course. Which I'm like, he has time. <laughs> he's got it. Like, it's okay, Molly. Yeah, he's got time. And I'm like, no, it's got to be now or never. Right. But it's also that thing, too, of like, you, what we have to understand is that you got to do a little bit of bad to figure out what's good. Oh, that is absolutely true. Okay, so going back to that other theory, because all of this so far, Blair, I don't know about you, but it makes sense to me. I see these things. I saw them in the stages. Yes. He's definitely like becoming sort of broadening his view of the people around him now at age five to six. So this is so far making a lot of sense to me. And in the majority of the articles that I read, they concur. So then I read about this study that I was telling you about on theconversation.com mm-hmm. at USC. They had an adult cover their eyes. Now, this is an adult. The adult covers their eyes. Later, they had them cover their ears and then their mouth. The kids sitting in front of them claimed that they, the kids, could not see the adult when they covered their eyes or hear. They wouldn't be able to hear the adult when the adult covered their ears or and they also couldn't speak to the adult when the adult was covering their mouth, which is brain explosion to me. So the kids aren't covering their mouth, eyes, ears. No, the adults are. So when an adult covers their eyes, they're like, can you see, you know, if it's the woman's name, Sarah, if it's, can you see Sarah sitting in front of you? And they say, no, truly, they believe that. So this is a quote from the doctor. Huh. Our findings suggest that when a child hides by putting a blanket over their head, this strategy is not a result of egocentrism. In fact, children deem this strategy effective when others use it. Built into their notion of visibility, then, is the idea of, and this is a new word for me, bi-directionality, meaning unless two people make eye contact, it is impossible for one to see the other. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Can you believe that? Wait a minute. This makes so, at first, that made zero sense. And I was like, they got a bunch of dummies in a room. <laughs> but now this makes sense. This makes so much sense. Yes. Because it is about energy. It is about the connection that we share with each other and the fact that even at a very tiny, small age, just the simple doing behavior of covering your eyes instantly tells that child that you are no longer connected. (gasps) And so they can't see you. They can't see you. Ages two to four. That's that. I want to be, yeah, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Wow. They say, contrary to egocentrism, young children simply insist on mutual recognition and regard. That's, oh, that's it. That's it. I know. And it says these faulty judgments saying that others whose eyes are covered cannot be seen reveal just how much children's perception of the world is colored by others. God, that I am going to break a window. (laughs) It's so deep. It blew my mind. Listen, that's something that they should teach you in the hospital before you give birth. Oh, that's interesting. That's a good point, Blair. That's really interesting. If we knew this from the get go, from the jump. Yeah. If we know this, things would be so different. We would communicate with each other so much differently. Yep. 
And remember, this is just a theory. So they had, I don't know, they didn't have the specifics of the study, but they took, yeah. a, you know, a limited number of two to four year olds. And this is their theory that came out of it. This article that I read is from 2016. And Blair, I had the same idea as you where I was like, yeah. what? This was six years ago. Like, why aren't we all talking about this? Maybe it then got shot down and I don't have that article. Listen, <laughs> but I don't think so. I don't know. Even just the idea. I feel like the powers that be probably read that and was like, don't let anybody know Stick this. with the egocentrism storyline. Stick with the fact that one person can overtake another person and do what they want. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You feel me? Maybe. Big brother? Big brother? It is such an interesting theory. And whether or not that one example or that one study can be the reason for what we perceive as egocentric behaviors from the ages of whatever, 18 months to five years, whatever. It's certainly something to think on. And also, as we know, these studies, these ideas are as multifaceted as humans are themselves. They're not going to apply to every kid, different levels, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? But it is something to think on. And then that also makes sense that, you know, they say that you are, what is it, like by the age of two, you're kind of set in who you are and the basic understanding of the world. And that's why the first like two or the first five, I can't remember. Listen, I'm no doctor. I wish I was. I'm no doctor. But isn't it something like that? Like by the age of two, by the age of five, you're like, you like are who you're going to be. You are who you're going to be. But that makes sense because especially the zero to two, four is the idea how the world works. Your world is just like, it all depends on connection. And if you are feeling disconnected constantly and you're constantly crying, you're constantly reaching out, you're constantly demanding, it's because you don't feel connected. <gasps> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Uh, Blair, right now, I can see her in over the app that we use. And there's <laughs> the most beautiful bed behind her because she records in her guest room. And just now, she leaned back and looked around so much, and I literally thought she was going to go to bed. I think I'm like, oh, geez. Oh, geez. Well, good night. Like, this is really such a big aha moment for me. It really is. It is such a cool way to think about it. Yeah, it really is. I'm telling everyone about this. <laughs> yes. We'll be right back. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together, we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, 
we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome back. My mind is still uh, recovering from a major explosion. Blair took a quick six and a half hour nap and we're back for part three. (laughs) I needed it. Holy (laughs) cow. That was a mind explosion. We're talking about egotism and children and it's just all just been churned and begoggled. So whether or not, so we're coming into this looking at two different theories, both of which are incredibly plausible to us, yeah. <laughs> even though they're somewhat contradicting each other. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, we as parents or as caregivers still have to deal with these children, mm. no matter what it is that's causing their wackadoo behavior. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we do it? And being the parent, the blog I mentioned at the beginning of the show has, I think, a really nice way to think of it, which is what we hear a lot. And we try and aspire to do as much as we can, of course, with patience serenity, and consistency, Mm. the egocentric nature of children can be managed very well. And as they say, we all know they're going through a developmental phase, but that doesn't mean this type of behavior can be ignored. Absolutely. Right? Because we're dealing also with setting up behavior expectations for our kids, right? Mm -hmm. So they say, as a parent, we have to take care to satisfy their rational needs and ignore their irrational demands. Ooh, say that again? Yes, I know. I'm going to cut this out. I'm going to print it out. I'm going to (laughs) cut it out. And I'm going to shellack it above my son's bed. Put it on the refrigerator. Put it on the refrigerator. (laughs) I'm going to blow it up. I'm going to rent a plane. I'm going to pull it behind my plane. Go by the beach where I also am. (laughs) So I can remind myself to keep my cool at the beach, so to speak. Yes, I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. As a parent, you must take care to satisfy their rational needs and ignore their irrational demands. Mm -hmm. Satisfy their rational needs Ignore their irrational demands. Irrational. Mm-hmm. So try not to encourage the bossy attitude of your child. You've got to talk to them. You've got to share how you're feeling. Always listen to their views because that also teaches them to listen to yours. Yes. Model, 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 model how you want them to behave. And I think, too, when it comes, you know, because sometimes those irrational demands come with some pretty telling behavior, you know, and I think that that's where you also have to, like, kind of, like, keep your sharp focus on, like put your sharp focus glasses on to be like, okay, is this really clearly irrational? Is this an irrational demand? Is this a call to something deeper that you need? Certainly. What is this rooted in? Yes. What is this rooted in? Just like our episode about tantrums and also our episode about when your kid is the aggressor. Right. You have to think about where this is coming from. Where is this coming from? And mm-hmm. a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff is, is deeply rooted. And as being the parent blog says, human beings do not need to learn to love others. It comes naturally. As a parent, you must ensure mm. to nurture their natural ability to love and respect people around them. That is the truth. Yes, that is the total truth. And just from that study that they did, I mean, it is as simple as keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, and keep your mouth open. <laughs> I thought your last one was going to be hard. As soon as it was... Nope. Your mouth. For them crisper crimes. 
Yeah, because every once in a while you got to test those limits just like they're testing ours. Right? Yeah. But it's also like, and you know, I guess the idea of closing your mouth to a child, like when I think of it, is like, I don't want to talk to you. Ah, uh, yeah. Shutting them out. Shutting them out. Right. Yeah. Keep those communication lines open. So that is kind of like a closed heart, if you will. Yeah. Like, I don't want to talk to you. There's nothing that, yeah. My takeaways from today are kind of the same thing. And it's such a good, gentle reminder about knowing, you know, whether or not you connect more strongly with the theory of egocentrism. And there are a lot of that parts of that theory that I do connect to that I think my child did go through. Hopefully it's kind of getting out of a little bit. I mean, there are plenty of egocentric adults too. So it's not like we move completely out of that realm. But also that, yeah, I think that theory from the developmental psychologist at USC really did open my eyes and my ears to the fact that there are other ways to look at it too. And they perhaps can coexist (laughs) in the same world, in the same person, in the same child, you know? Yeah. Because I think that humans are multifaceted and fascinating and we just have to keep helping them grow and know that they don't always have to rely on themselves because they have a safe space with us too. Yeah. They don't always have to rely on us, but man, I get tired. So tired. I sure would like a pillow as opposed to being the pillow. Right. Right. (laughs) Last night we were watching Cool Runnings, which is such a good film. They had one curse where it's kind of snuck in there, but it's rated PG and it's like pretty good for a family. Uh But all of a sudden this curse word was said very low key. Our son didn't even hear it really. Me and my husband, I could sense us both on either side of my son go, (laughs) and then my son went, what, what is it? What, what is it? And we were just like, oh, we're just excited about the Olympics. They're going to be in a bobsled. (laughs) Or something. (laughs) Just made up a terrible excuse. But overall, it was pretty good. But the thing you just said, my son was trying to get comfortable because watching a whole movie is a lot. Mm -hmm. It's an hour and a half or whatever. And we took a break and brought the pizza in and everything. It was fun. We had a movie night. And so at one point, he was like trying to make himself comfortable (laughs) on my my mama chest. (laughs) And he, but I was sitting straight up and I could just see him being like, huh, huh, huh. No, I got to adjust, adjust. And I was like, that's not a pillow. You got to be gentle. That's fluff this one. Yeah, exactly. He's like, do you have anything more firm? And I was like, you shut your mouth. You did this to me. Get comfortable. You get what you get. You don't get upset, sir. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait, if I lie down a little bit, scooch my butt forward, make myself a pillow for him, I get to be closer to horizontal. I get to be more comfortable. And so that pillow got pillowed <laughs> by the couch. And I was like, oh, that's more like it. <laughs> there we are. It always works out in the end. You know what? It always does. So, yeah, we hope that you go forth with your little egomaniac <laughs> and know that it is just a developmental stage. We've all been there. We are with you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see those little self-focused minds open up and flower and, you know, flower. Open up and flower, open up like a flower. Open up and blossom. Blossom. Blossom and grow. Bloom and blossom. The word I was looking for was blossom and you nailed it. Thank you. You're welcome. And we'll see you all next week. If you're listening to us on Spotify, if you don't mind, go ahead and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us reach more people. And of course, let your favorite coworker now know who you never get to see. (laughs) Let him know. We appreciate you as always. Come on back. Yeah. Come on back. We'll see you next time on Toddler Purgatory. Take it easy.
Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.